0: welcome to our podcast I'm Josh Way
1: I'm Dan Hammer
0: and we're here to revisit a movie that one or both of us has seen before and find out how it holds up how are you Dan
1: you know I was just in a car accident and I don't know who I am really so now <laughs> That's I'm wandering, I'm wandering the ravines of Hollywoodland
0: well look out for oily guys and demonic bums. <laughs>
1: That's some good advice.
0: Yeah, yeah, we're going to get to all that uh, soon enough. But in the meantime, did you see anything good this week?
1: Did did I see anything good um, or anything gonna, at all? <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna give uh, a no. This oh week. wow, really? Yeah,
0: and I know that I, you saw at least two new titles. So
1: I I did. I saw the aftermath, and and hear me. My no is not that it was bad. Mm-hmm. Ne- neither of these things excited me, though. I saw the aftermath, and I saw Shazam. Wow,
0: quite a yeah, double so bill!
1: It is. So aftermath first. I don't know why I chose it. There were other options, mm-hmm. but for some reason, the aftermath right. called out to me. I just sort of wanted to see this movie that I think nobody else wanted to see. Yeah, and it and it was better than I thought. Oh, good. It's it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. The I'm not sure if this was a historic idea, or you know, post World War II Brits are commandeering houses in Germany to try to bring things under control. And so this military couple decides to let this man and his daughter stay in their house because the house is huge, and they've lost you know the the wife, mother of the family. And then there's kind of a romance that develops between the wife of the military guy and the German man. Mm-hmm. And Alexander Skarsgård. What what's his what's his nationality? Do we know? Uh, because
0: Swedish, perhaps. I don't know for sure.
1: In the movie, he's meant to be German, and but he speaks in more or less non-accent English. And then you're kind of going like, "How do you say, you know?" So that was kind of strange. I thought it was a decent period drama. I liked the clothes. I liked the settings. Mm-hmm. It was acted just fine. The story was fine. It was completely passable, but it... certainly not good. I really liked her collection of sweaters. That was mm-hmm. my favorite thing about the movie.
0: There's... Jason Clark in another like awful husband slash cuckold kind of a role. He's
1: he okay? So I'm assuming he's the husband. Yes, the cuckolded husband. Yes. <laughs> yeah. He and I, I liked his character. Oh. Huh. I liked his character better than I usually would have. I feel like they had almost a modern sensibility where he came to an understanding that there was a relationship between these two. Mm-hmm. And for some reason she thinks she's just gonna run away with Skarsgard into the Alps because he has a cabin there and live out her days. Mm. I think that she might regret her choice. If she did that, which now I'm spoiling it, she doesn't do that. Mm -hmm. But he, her husband, just kind of realizes that this happened, and he kind of yells at her once as they're dancing at a party because he wants some understanding and some detail of what has happened. Yeah, and she tells him, and she's just going to leave the next morning and leave her life forever. And he's kind of like, "Yeah, just go." And then she begins to go, and there's a train. And she just can't go. Wow. And so the man and the daughter leave. Full spoilies. Yeah, you no. Know, she goes back and, well, I mean, no one's going to see this. <laughs> and, and she goes back and the guy's like, oh, great. You're back. Which I think is good. I, I didn't have any emotional energy right. that late in the story hmm. for him to have an ordeal. Right. Sure. So that was that one. All so right. why, don't you, why don't you say one of yours that you saw?
0: Okay, I, uh, I'll i do The Beach Bum. I saw The Beach Bum, which I was looking forward to. It's directed by Harmony Korine, who is a divisive filmmaker. Movies like uh, Spring Breakers with James Franco and Mr. Lonely. And he, he makes very hypnotic, challenging kind of art house bubblegum movies. And this is Matthew McConaughey as a sort of Florida man character. A, a a poet who kind of lives on the docks, but he's married to a, a rich woman, Isla Fisher, and his best friend is Snoop Dogg, and he hangs out with Jimmy Buffett, and it's just kind of a, a an Odyssey esque kind of a se- episodic series of adventures with this awful human being, and just it's strangely entrancing and upsetting and annoying and funny. I found myself alternately caring about the characters and loathing the characters. In the end, I think it's worth seeing. It's short enough. It's about 95 minutes. But I think ultimately it's a a movie about ultra-wealthy people partying in Florida while avoiding repercussions for their many crimes. So it seems timely. And I like the ending. I recommend The Beach Bum.
1: There's something about it that... Just does not call out to me. Sure. I want to want to make that the movie I'm going to see tonight. And I don't know that I ever will.
0: Sure. Well, you have to make those decisions. I mean, you know, there is there are movies like <laughs> Dumbo and The Aftermath out there that need you to see them. So,
1: yeah. I understand. You know, life is full of decision making. And there are multiple movies playing at any time. And it's you true. just sort of make a decision. Yeah how it works right.
0: but i have to say i was also the only person in the theater which is just a delight if they if you ever have that i had it for the after you i did. had it for the aftermath <laughs> okay. nice so well there you go yeah so that's a soft recommend but an interesting okay. piece of work
1: so i'll take it from here with shazam please so i knew nothing about shazam mm-hmm. so i had been at the theater a few weeks ago maybe seeing isn't it romantic or what men want Mm-hmm. And there's a life-size cutout of Zachary Levi, mm-hmm. who at first glance, like, read to me as John Mulaney. Oh, wow. You know, this, this is where... I want that movie. Yeah. <laughs> those, John Mulaney like, really complimented right. that I mistook the two. And he's, you know, in a superhero outfit, leaning against the wall, blowing some gum mm-hmm. and looking at his cell phone, you know. And I really connected with this wow. cardboard cutout. You know, to say it was sexual would be to cheapen it. Okay. But I was in, just intensely drawn to what I was seeing. Wow. And so imagine my disappointment to find <laughs> out that he's a child. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. What a, whatever, you know, secret yes. inner romp that I hoped that maybe I'd have yeah. was was now dirty and wrong. And
0: you were robbed And of so
1: them. I imagine that most people won't have that journey
0: yeah, vis-a-vis <laughs> right. the
1: marketing and their actual experience. Sure, but I'm but for the person who does, I'm throwing it out there.
0: Does it make it better or worse to know that in the original comic, he actually just becomes the man? I guess it's still complicated, but the idea of him, the idea of making it like big, where the he's a he's a fifteen year old inside is actually new to this version.
1: Yeah, I think it's about the same. Yeah. Okay. And there are a few tips of the hat to Big in mm-hmm. the in the movie. Since I am at least a quarter of our listening base, right? I think I need to. <laughs> that's that, that's a pretty good percentage. So I need to yeah, put out that message. Conservative estimate to those to those people, right? Um, so it's it's professionally made. Mm-hmm. It, parts of it are funny. It is interesting. I, I don't know the superhero universe enough, really, to judge it against others i think people think it's going to be good for kids and i know kids are tough these days but i actually thought it was kind of scary i heard that it's strangely intense
0: considering
1: yeah they have these demon characters that are very scary and when they attack the people especially in this one scene in an office it's pretty grisly Mm -hmm. And pretty scary it's
0: got the seven so deadly a, sins in it, right? yes, I mean that's sin seven content warning sins. right there sin that's
1: you got to be careful right. there there's some strange uh, mixing in of Christian imagery, but then Shazam, I guess, is an acronym yes, that's right of, the yeah, wisdom of Solon, Solomon, the strength Hercules. of Hercules <laughs> exactly, so it's just sort of I guess drawing on some Christian gotcha. language and mixing it up using with other it as just myths.
0: western lore, right, fun.
1: So I don't think that... So he's in a foster family, you know? Right. And so there's... That aspect of it is
0: interesting, actually.
1: Yeah, a wonderfully diverse family. and But it's a wonderfully diverse family for commodification to be sold to white people. Mm -hmm. You know, so when this family kind of all gets their moment and they're all going to be helping him, there was something that I found distasteful in how that was Hmm. produced. Interesting. I thought it was all gloss and fake and not very true to what these other characters' real-life experiences would have been. Yeah. And so um, I don't think I'm giving anything away. When there's a bit of transformation to be able to help the hero in the end, everyone is just sort of whiteified. I felt, Hmm. in a way that was unnecessary.
0: Interesting. I also the word on uh film twitter today was uh something about uh disability erasure something about the 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 character of the other kid, Freddie. the way people were talking about it, I assumed that he had his his disability like supernaturally removed even temporarily or something, but I guess that's not what it is
1: oh i can i s i guess I see what they're saying. I'm not gonna say that that doesn't happen mm-hmm. and that they can't go ahead and be upset about that or add that to the conversation right that flew over my head though okay (laughs)
0: i'll be seeing it tomorrow night and i'll look out for all these things and i'll yell and curse and throw things at the screen
1: i can't wait to hear your take all right so what else did you see
0: i saw pet cemetery uh post us this is part of my new scary movie lifestyle i'm proud of you and so uh thank you i made it through I'm also a giant Stephen King fan. I I used to just read nothing but uh, nonfiction things relating to politics and theology and things. And so I, in the last five years or so, I've like just forced myself to just start consuming fiction. And Stephen King's a good way to dive in deep. And so I read Pet Sematary a couple of times, and I like it a lot. He hates it, apparently, I found out. Stephen King thinks it's too dark. He regrets writing it. But we've had two movie versions of it and the 1989 version, which is fairly well regarded, not particularly scary, but nice and uh, gory and a little bit kind of cheesy in a delightful late 80s kind of way. The new one is a little more – plays it a little more straight, is a little more dour, A little tries to build the, the mood a little more, uh, sticks to the book a little more in terms of characterization, but then also departs from the book in a major way about two-thirds of the way through. I'm always disappointed with film versions of any book that I've read, but especially Stephen King because – You tend to get a lot of the supernatural and and creepy stuff. But a lot of what I think is best about Stephen King, which is the characterization and the inner life of the characters, gets kind of flattened out or, you know, wrung out altogether. And they did simplify this story a lot, a bit too much. But I like what they did. The the plot changes are not what I have a problem with. I thought they were fine. And I really liked the different ending that it had. Uh, I thought it was a, a good enough adaptation of something that I already enjoyed. The book is better but uh, I recommend this version of Pet Cemetery.
1: I will probably make it there in the next week or so.
0: Without any spoilers, there is one performance relating to the big change that they make, a child performance in the last act of the movie that really makes the whole thing. Uh, The change they made actually pays off in this very interesting choice, in this very interesting performance by one character. Not going to, we can maybe talk about it after you've seen it. Sounds good. All right, Dan. Uh, movie news. I only have a couple of things. In fact, almost nothing. But
1: little more than nothing.
0: A little bit more than nothing. Here's a little bit more than nothing. Number one, McKay and Farrell are ending their production partnership and disbanding their uh, Gary Sanchez Productions company. Does that mean anything to you, Dan
1: Hammer? I, uh, you know, I liked, I liked Big Short. Mm-hmm. Um, I was less crazy about Vice. I think that they made a couple uh, decent, noticeworthy movies. And right. now they're not going to.
0: Yeah. Do you feel like, I feel like this is probably just reading the writing on the wall. This probably comes from McKay's side, right? I mean, he seems to be fashioning himself as an auteur filmmaker now, and it's just maybe been time to do this for a while.
1: That makes sense to me. He he did so well and sort of overcame comedy curse with uh, Big Short. And even with Vice, people were saying, oh, can you believe it? SNL. Now he's... Right Now he's an Oscar nominated director and writer. I was like, yes, by now we can believe it. And so maybe this is a part of that.
0: Uh, Okay. The only other thing I have, the only other item I have is that the Criterion channel has launched. I am a charter member of the Criterion channel, which is kind of an offshoot slash replacement for Filmstruck, which was a, a streaming service for kind of classic movies and art movies and things like that. And most of the Criterion Collection library seems to be streaming on this channel. And most notably, it launches today uh, featuring the movie we're going to talk about today.
1: No, it doesn't.
0: It does. I just purchased the Criterion (laughs) Blu-ray to get it shipped to me because I couldn't find it for rental on any streaming platform. And if I had just had one more day, I could have watched it. This uh, channel I already subscribed to.
1: I think it's okay to support art in this way.
0: Well, and I'm going to be glad that I own this movie uh, in physical media because I'll want to revisit it and figure out what the hell I think about it.
1: See how it holds up.
0: Yeah. Well, why don't we do that after we take a quick break? Great. All right. See you soon. All right, welcome back to Holds Up. This week, we are looking at the 2001 David Lynch film, Mulholland Drive. Dan, this is a movie I had not seen, but that you had and you recommended. So can you please give us a little bit of background on Mulholland Drive?
1: I can. I was not a devotee of Mulholland Drive, as some people were and are. I saw it in the theater, you know, 2001, I suppose, when it came out because I was hearing things about it. It was winning some awards, getting a lot of recognition. And I remember sitting in the theater and enjoying it and trying to piece my way through the plot. And then I left frustrated because the plot, I believe, was impenetrable, and I still Mm -hmm. do. But it's a really fun journey. And so from what we can discern, there is a car accident. And a woman doesn't know who she is. And she's wandering the hills of Hollywood. And she just happens into the right apartment where there is a naive young actress who has just moved in, who wants to make it in Hollywood. They determine that they are going to figure out who this other woman is. And then there is a key and there is a box and they manage to open this box. And then it seems like we're through the looking glass Where we're looking at the same women, but they are now different women somehow, different place in life, different things going on with them. And there is a movie that's being made, and there is mafia involvement, and a lot of intrigue. And I never really understood where we land plot-wise. Silencio, we're done.
0: Yeah, I am not well versed in David Lynch. I have seen Blue Velvet, Eraserhead, a long time ago, and this. I don't think I've seen any other of his films. I feel like that's a, a deficiency on my part, and I need to catch up. I, I've never even seen Twin Peaks, so I've enjoyed what I've seen, and I enjoyed watching this movie very much. I don't know if it's helpful that I waited this long to see it because I felt I don't feel like I have a handle on it, and I could walk you through it with like you know flowcharts. I just feel like I started out really confused. I got more confused. But then by the end, I was almost at peace with the movie as it is. Um, And I stopped trying to connect the dots and realized that it was really, it's more like a fever dream. It's more like a a feeling that's supposed to wash over you than it is, you know, a, a, a mystery to be solved.
1: I agree. It was originally conceived to be a TV series. Yeah, which is interesting. And it seems like even within the shooting, it was conceived yes. as that.
0: Still- yeah, I felt for the first 20 minutes or so, uh, believe it or not, I actually felt, is this is this filmed for television? And I looked it up and sure enough, it was, you know, it was a pilot that was expanded. I just feel like the staging and the feeling of the acting and everything feels much more like something that would be on ABC in 1999 or whenever that was made.
1: I agree. I I can see it more in retrospect. I probably wouldn't have noticed it. I'm not keen to those things.
0: Yeah. So, and also for that first act, I feel like if you want to follow it as a story, you can almost, you know, for a good 40 minutes or so, you can kind of track what's happening. You're not sure what the different story threads have to do with each other, but you can follow what's happening. And then there's a point at which the story you're watching heightens and becomes a little more surreal. And then there's the moment you mentioned where it just goes kind of inside out and um interesting that ever since the original dvd release all the way up until this current uh criterion collection blu-ray release there are no chapters on the disc you can't skip a scene you have to watch the entire movie at once because you know lynch insists that that's the way it's supposed to be taken in Look at my notes here. Oh, I have bonkers out of the gate written down because you do have that kind of trippy opening with the jitterbug contest. So it's very surreal uh, and upsetting right from the start.
1: It is, and you're holding that as if that has something to do with it, but since it so clearly doesn't, unless you get into the conspiracy theories, right? You sort of even forget that it happened, right? Because you're all of a sudden holding too much, yeah. In trying to, fi- if you're trying to figure out what's happening right
0: there's a sense of menace from that from the beginning uh, that carries throughout and I feel like that's probably thematically I mean I feel like it's actually not hard to nail this movie down just in terms of what it's about. I don't know what happens and I don't know I don't feel like it's a plot that delivers the theme but just the the filmmaking and the experience I feel like this is about the dark side of Hollywood. And you know, everything from the spoiled hopes and dreams of a young starlet to the involvement of the mafia in the studio system to this almost kind of demonic force boiling up in this weird, evil bum character. And it just kind of feels like it's Lynch taking a look at the veneer of Hollywood and then letting the kind of dark stuff you know, flow up through the cracks.
1: I think that's completely right. I think that if I were someone who had spent you know twenty thirty years in Hollywood, I would relate to it on mm-hmm. some other level, because I would have seen it a lot of my life in in these scenes. I imagine. Right. I think this was my first awareness of Naomi Watts. I want to say. Yeah. And I think she just gives a stellar performance in this. She to me is two characters between the two, you know, looking glass right. situations. Where she looks so bright and perky and fresh. I mean, in my old age, I now see how sh- how ridiculous she is. I'm sure right. that I'm, that was lost on me at you know 20, mm-hmm. whenever it was that I saw this. Yeah, and she just looks so different on the second in the second section. She looks so much less than Rita or Camilla, whom whatever right. Laura Elena Herring's mm-hmm. name is. I feel she looked her equal at the first for the first act, hmm. just sort of looking pretty and put together and bright, and then she just does not right for right the second half.
0: So I had two while, when I still thought that this movie could be traced and and locked down and and figured out. I had two working theories that I eventually abandoned before I embraced my my view of of the movie. But at first. I thought that where it was going was that Betty slash Diane had somehow engineered everything as a protracted kind of revenge against Camilla. Mm-hmm. Um, and that we were seeing a flashback, but then that's way too earthbound. And it also just doesn't make sense, but it's not something Lynch would do where, aha, she set it all up so that she'd have the accident and then she'd pretend to be someone else. And then, you know, that, I kind of that was my first theory and that fell apart quickly and then Mm -hmm. I thought that it was Rita slash Camilla seeing Betty as Diane in her fog that maybe she was projecting this you know mixing things up from her life before the accident and that's what was happening and then we were going back in time to see what was but then I realized that didn't work either so ultimately I see it as just kind of you use the phrase through the looking glass. I think we just have kind of this crux in the, in the, in the middle. And then we're looking at just a remix of characters, you know, the same women, but in different roles. And it's not supposed to tie in. It's not, we're not, we haven't moved in time. It's almost like we've moved in reality and we're just looking from a different angle or something.
1: Yeah. I think it is a masterclass in postmodern philosophy in the writing that there is no center. It circles around mm-hmm. and what should be a perfect circle does not meet the other end. Mm-hmm. It's related, but it it does not come together. The way that they find Diane as a rotting corpse mm-hmm. when they break into that house is impossible that Betty is there. Yeah. You know, for a second when you realize what happened to Diane, you're like, Oh right, so this is when she died, and then no wait, that doesn't mm-hmm. work. Right. And I think the movie is just Full of those kinds of moments where things come so close Mm -hmm. to coming full circle and they just Mm -hmm. miss, and that's the point.
0: And it ends up with this kind of—it really—you could draw something of a straight line between Betty's opening scenes and then Diane's madness and suicide at the end. Those are definitely two sides of the same coin. They're just not the same character. You can't—you can't look at it as a linear story. But I feel like thematically. That's That couldn't be more clear to me.
1: What, what do you think is the significance of the scene in the theater?
0: You know, I feel like that's something where I, if I was a little bit smarter, I would have been able to kind of, mm, mm-hmm. But I, I'm thinking about Silencio, the idea of pre-recorded, the idea that something is just kind of going through motions. I don't know. Other than it's got something to do with the nature of Hollywood and the nature of the lives people end up living when they go there. I don't know. I really don't have a uh, a lucid take on that.
1: Nor do I. It captures exactly what dreams can seem mm-hmm. like where someone says something and in a dream that is so profound and you've just unlocked right. the mysteries of the universe and then you wake up and you think of that same phrase and you think that doesn't mean anything. Right. You know like there is no band. Right, right. Oh yeah like it reminds me of like the dream sequence in the Simpsons mm-hmm. where like this suit burns mm-hmm. better right. you know and the, and there's so there's like menace beneath yeah. it there's something scary but it's it's having a mm-hmm. profound effect on the characters that we're following
0: there's also and this is kind of undermining all of that but uh watching a couple interviews with Lynch on the Criterion disc that recording of uh Yorando that Spanish version of Roy Orbison's crying was just something Lynch had laying around. People bring in performers to meet him. And he had this woman come in off the street and she recorded that song for him unrelated to this film. And he just had it sitting around and he decided when he had to flesh out this pilot that he was going to stick it in. So (laughs) that's, that's kind of the crazy thing about films, especially ones like this is that you spend time rolling over and over and saying, "What does this mean?" and sometimes it's just something that they liked and wanted to put in the movie, but that makes me like question my constant need to find specific meaning and everything
1: there's a there's meaning to blue mm-hmm. certainly I think the key and the box are blue as well as the hair of the person in the mm-hmm. balcony that there's some key to whatever that darkness right. is, and then there's like pink in that confrontation with the director Mm -hmm. and his wife and the, you know, there's a red lampshade that only shows up
0: twice in the movie. There's lots of little items and kind of clues like that, that people have picked up on. In fact, did you know, uh, I just found this out today. So this was not something I had access to while watching the movie yesterday, but when the DVD came out in 2002, there was a little piece of paper inside that said, David Lynch's 10 clues to unlocking this thriller. Have you heard of this?
1: Yeah, I've 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 seen those. They, they don't do help at all. Of thing.
0: But yeah, so they were driving me crazy today. If anybody wants to know, I guess I can rattle them off in case anybody's not familiar with them.
1: Sure, let's. I mean, we can always edit it out right. if it's too long. Let's talk. Okay, through Okay. So number these.
0: one, pay particular attention in the beginning of the film. At least two clues are revealed before the credits. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember what's before the credits, but I think it's what Jitterbug and car
1: crash. Maybe there's a – no, because the the car is moving up Mulholland Drive mm. during the mm-hmm. credits. I think there's a there's – Oh, a the jitterbug theory, and then the three faces. All right. right. There, there's, there's a theory that Betty or Diane were judged in a jitterbug competition by someone else in the film. I forget who. There's a whole line mm-hmm. of reasoning okay. about this that I think is gotcha. nonsense.
0: Number two, notice appearances of the red lampshade.
1: There might be something to that I don't get it.
0: number three, can you hear the title of the film that Adam Kesher is auditioning actresses for? Is it mentioned again? Is it? Uh, I believe it is the Sylvia North story it I think that is mentioned again at the dinner scene later right okay.
1: There's yes. something to put together there that just doesn't make sense
0: and I wonder if this is I wonder if this is a studio thing if David Lynch really wanted these clues. I don't feel like he has clues that you can use to solve his movies. No. That's not what he's doing uh but while well, we're at it number four an accident it's a terrible event notice the location of the accident i mean isn't that the entire thrust I of sure the opening it. of the movie <laughs> is the yeah i noticed it as well number five who gives a key and why it's the uh hitman oh sidebar the hitman whose introductory scene is one of the craziest things in this movie this weird little comedy of errors as he's trying to steal something that never figures into the plot Remind again. Me. You know, the hitman that she hires has an earlier scene where he's in—he's laughing in this office right. with a long-haired fellow okay, talking yes. about a black book. He kills him, but he accidentally right. hits the lady on the other side of the wall, and he goes and has to kill her. And then the janitor see—it's like this comedy it's of really errors. Great. And then the bur- the That's building catches coony. fire. <laughs> yes, it is. That and the uh, the character of the cowboy, those kind of felt like very Coheny elements true. to me. But, and by the way, the cowboy character could not remember lines and is reading lines that are being held up by Justin Thoreau in that scene.
1: That makes a lot of sense.
0: Number six, notice the robe, the ashtray, the coffee cup.
1: No. Noticed I them.
0: I Dan refuses to notice, to notice them. them. Number seven, what is felt, realized, and gathered at the Club Silencia? Well, that's not easily answered. <laughs> How many,
1: how many we just tried to answer that there? and we couldn't,
0: okay. there's only three more. Did talent alone help Camilla?
1: I don't know how to answer that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess in that, in the one version, no, she's making it with the director and in the other version of reality in the the earlier version of reality, the mob gets her the part. So I don't, you know, maybe it's exploring the different things apart from talent that motivate connections and
1: really the one is the other.
0: Love kind of is violence in this movie. Absolutely. Absolutely it
1: is. That I feel like Betty and Rita or Diane and Camilla, however it is, Diane and Camilla seem like they have a pretty shitty relationship. You know, they're ready to murder (laughs) murder one another. Right. And Betty and Rita have such a blank slate, why not posture to their relationship.
0: And it's because one of them is new to Hollywood and the other one can't remember who they are. So that's the only, I guess that's saying that's the only way that you could have a positive uh, a positive and uh, endearing relationship in Hollywood. I
1: suppose that there's something to explore there.
0: All right. And the last two, note the occurrences surrounding the man behind Winkies.
1: Yeah, I, I noted those. That guy, I think, is <laughs> I terrifying.
0: It. It's, the funny thing is that I didn't realize that meme is from this movie. Have you seen the meme? Of uh, Patrick Fischler, yeah, the guy who was mm-hmm. on Mad Men. The, he that there's a meme of him where it's it's four pictures: two where he's walking around the corner with that other dude behind him, one of something else, and then the fourth one where he's kind of falling backwards with a grimace on his face. And so you're supposed to put something you don't like, like uh, you know, uh, Heinz Cranch dressing.
1: You know how I like saw that. it How'd you was it? Cadbury cream mayonnaise.
0: Oh yeah, I see Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. which is. Which Which is is disgusting.
0: Nope. That's a big jar of nope. Number 10, where is Aunt Ruth? I think in the one reality, she's in Canada shooting a movie, and in the other, she's back home or dead, or
1: I don't know. She seems to appear back, but for no payoff or consequence.
0: Well, is she the old lady at the airport? I don't think so. No, and that's. I also noticed that in the answers, they, they try to answer these questions on the IMDb trivia, and- One of the first things they say is that her, her parents see her off and I don't get the impression that those are her parents. I think they're nice old people she met on the plane and it's showing what a kind of innocent, sweet person she is that she would connect, you know, like where most people in Hollywood wouldn't want anything to do with these smiling old tourists. She is just happy to have their
1: company. If that's her relationship with her parents, that's the most scary thing in the movie. Right. How ridiculous.
0: And also the way they come back at the end, the way they're kind of used as this nightmarish little undercurrent, like it would take on very different dimensions if that was supposed to be her family. And I I don't get that sense at all. If they
1: represent her hope for the future, I could understand by that point in the story, them haunting her.
0: That's really nightmarish, by the way, the way he, he, just the filmmaking there. Such a weird, simple, potentially goofy thing that is just haunting me still. All right, Dan, well, that's the 10 clues. We solved it.
1: (laughs) I like it a lot.
0: What else is there to say? I like it
1: a lot better not to solve it and to experience it as noir. The performances are good. The mood and the tone is really compelling. And I actually think it was an achievement in how it doesn't come together. I -hmm. think that would be harder, and, and it was harder, than coming up with a story that made sense.
0: The consensus seems to be that of all the Lynch feature films, this is the most successful. And again, I haven't seen enough to make that judgment, but I can definitely see that this, I see why he was uh, nominated for Best Director and why this is such a well-regarded movie. I'm glad I finally saw it.
1: You're welcome.
0: (laughs) Next week, Robert Altman's Popeye.
1: (laughs) I think that the fact that we didn't, say explicitly whether it holds up is our answer Mm -hmm. that we say say yes obviously Um, that's the lynchian response (laughs) and my name is now Josh I know
0: I guess that makes me (laughs) to (laughs) Zam
1: making sense only to us but don't worry we'll leave 10 clues as to how to (laughs) decipher
0: well I enjoyed that conversation I enjoyed that movie I will revisit it again
1: Yeah, I I liked it way better than the first time I saw it. It's one that I would like to watch every now and again. Silencio.
0: (laughs) I love the fact that it's not meant to be solved. I know a lot of people would probably find that frustrating and like, what's the point? But it lets you off the hook almost. You can enjoy what he made. You don't have to think you're missing something.
1: And you have to realize that there's some, that's part of the brilliance of the plot is that it can keep you hooked for that two hours or so continually mm-hmm. thinking that you're going to be able to put something together. And so that is kind of an initial frustration mm-hmm. to realize, oh no, you can't. Mm-hmm. If you realize that you can't and you can just enjoy the madness unfold, you really enjoy your evening.
0: It's it's also very interesting that he made the initial 90 minute pilot version thinking that he had all the time in the world like with Twin Peaks to flesh out characters and dive in and go around all the corners he wanted to do and then he got an opportunity to turn it into a feature and I think he even says in one of the interviews you know I had the chance to, to polish it off and finish it up but that this is what it looks like when he finishes it
1: maybe some things would have made a little more sense if he would have had that sort of time it's an interesting place in time too that was the beautiful mind year and the first lord of the rings mm-hmm. that that's the that's the right, climate right. and atmosphere that this is coming out of quite different
0: there was a BBC film poll that named this the best film of the 21st century which is only 19 years old and this came out in 2001 so that's remarkable right there but
1: well this one's weird enough to be proper cinema it's not the new blockbuster it's not something that won Best Picture one year that I think would disqualify you from a best of the mm-hmm. century. Mm-hmm. But what what would the other ones be?
0: Okay, so yeah, number one is Mulholland Drive. Number two, In the Mood for Love, which is a um, Hong Kong film that I've not seen, but I hear often cited as one of the best. Uh, there Will Be Blood. Mm. Boyhood is number five. Really? Is that a UK thing? Because I don't... Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. There's some good fodder here for the show, by the way. Some.
1: Mm-hmm. I was just thinking There Will Be Blood. I haven't seen that probably since yeah. it came out.
0: Tree of Life, one of my favorites.
1: That's one I haven't seen.
0: Oh, that's all right. So that, gotta, I got to get your take on that. We'll save that one because it's kind of a commitment. It's a long movie, but okay. I'll spring it on you one of these weeks. A Separation. I have not heard of it. It's a- It's uh, foreign, isn't it? Iranian, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's on Netflix now.
0: No country. That's the top ten. Uh, Inside Lewin Davis, Zodiac. That would be on my uh list for sure. Children of Men. Interesting list. Pan's Labyrinth, Synecdoche, New York. That's an interesting one. Have you seen that? I don't think I did. Charlie Kaufman. Very, very, very weird. Very good. Anyway, that answers our question about uh what other titles qualify.
1: Silencio. <laughs>
0: We have been Josh and Dan. You can follow us both on Twitter and Letterboxd. Our theme music's by Jonah Rapino. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll check you out next time. Bye. All right. Uh, I'm going to start a new.
1: You, you too. To... <laughs> enjoy your flight you too in case you ever fly something all right uh hold that
0: now we're good